The writer of Ecclesiastes said, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. He also said, there's a time to weep. And we see all three in the hours immediately following Jesus' arrest, and they are all responses to confrontation. When confronted with the false accusations of the Jewish leaders, Jesus remained silent. When put under oath and ordered to answer the high priest's questions, he spoke. And when Peter realized that he had blown it three times, he wept. Knowing how to respond to confrontation isn't easy. But maybe we can learn something from the way our Lord handled it and the way Peter blew it. We begin with a time to be silent. We're in Matthew 26, starting with verse 57. And those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter also was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. If there was ever a time when someone would have been justified in speaking up, surely it was when Jesus was facing his accusers. The scribes, elders, and priests were making a mockery of justice. They were breaking their own rules by trying Jesus at night away from the temple. And they were actually trying to obtain false testimony against him. They wanted to put him to death. He hadn't been tried in the media. He had been tried and found guilty in the minds of the judges. Witness after witness came forward with accusations so preposterous that no one would believe them. Finally, two witnesses came forward with the same story. They said, Jesus said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Now, to desecrate a sacred place was a capital offense. So they had what they wanted. They had an excuse to crucify Jesus. They were puzzled, however, by his silence. So the high priest arose and challenged Jesus to speak up in his own defense. But he remained silent. Why? Why didn't he expose their kangaroo court for what it was? 
Why didn't he challenge the false witnesses with their ludicrous stories? Why didn't he point out that the two witnesses had misquoted him? He hadn't said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God. He said, destroy the temple of God, and in three days, I will raise it up. And he was talking about the temple of his body. Why didn't he explain it? Why did he keep silent? In Isaiah 53, 7, we read, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Did he bite his tongue because he knew Isaiah had prophesied that he wouldn't say anything? Or was he like the man of understanding we read about in Proverbs eleven twelve, who simply knew when to keep silent? Well, I'm convinced it's the latter. What good would it have done for Jesus to defend himself? The Jews knew they were breaking their own rules. They knew the witnesses were lying. They didn't care about the truth. They just wanted him dead. And he knew it. So he kept silent. Now, hopefully we don't have enemies who want us dead. But most of us have had or will have someone who wants to believe the worst of us. If there's an honest misunderstanding, we try to clear it up. But if someone is simply looking for an excuse to distance themselves from us or to make us look bad in the eyes of others, The wisest course of action is to simply keep silent. In those situations, it will do no good to defend ourselves. So we keep quiet. And as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.23, we keep entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. We can't control what others choose to think of us. The only thing we can control is what God thinks of us. So we maintain our integrity before Him and confess our need for forgiveness when we do do something wrong. A man of understanding knows when to keep silent. And he knows when it's the time to speak. Reading on. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes, saying, He has blasphemed. 
What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who's the one who hit you? You know, maybe Jesus should have stayed silent just a little longer. Look where opening his mouth got him. It got him condemned, humiliated, and abused. When the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said, you have said it yourself. Mark and Luke make it clear that he said even more than that. He actually said, yes, I am. You have said it. There was no vagueness in his answer. He didn't mumble, whatever you say. He looked the high priest in the eye and said, yes, I am. You have said it. He then went on to confront the high priest with his unbelief by adding, nevertheless, even though you don't believe it, someday you will see the Son of Man, referring to himself, of course, sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. At that, the high priest tore his robes and cried, He is blasphemed. We don't need any witnesses. We've heard the blasphemy. Looking at the council, he asked, What do you think? And they all cried, He deserves to die. With that, all pretense of decorum was gone, and they began spitting on him. Now, who they is, we can't be sure. It may be the council. The Sanhedrin itself, if it is, it would be like the justices of the Supreme Court spitting on a defendant after finding him guilty. Or it may have been the soldiers who were holding him. Either way. It was horrible and uncalled for. Then they went into a frenzy, beating him with their fists and slapping him. And the word used for slapping may indicate that they were actually slapping him with flexible rods. They blindfolded him and mocked him. Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? It's horrible. The confrontation obviously went downhill after Jesus spoke. So why did he answer? Some might suggest he did so because the high priest put him under oath and thereby forced him to answer. But long before our Constitution and the Fifth Amendment, there were rules prohibiting self-incrimination. Jesus didn't have to speak. He chose to speak. Why? Because not to speak would have spoken volumes. He wasn't responding to false accusations at this point. He was answering a question, and it was a very important question. Tell us, 
whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. If he had refused to answer, the assumption could have been made and probably should have been made that he wasn't. There comes a time when we must speak. When keeping silent gives the wrong impression or makes a lie more believable, we must speak up and tell the truth, no matter the consequences. And obviously, when confronted with questions about our faith or the person of Christ, we must answer. We've been called to be witnesses, and to fail to witness is to deny him. We certainly won't, don't want to do that. Peter did. And it became for him a time to weep. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them too, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled. Peter and John, however, did then follow the mob into the high priest's courtyard. John was known by the high priest, and that's how he got in. And he spoke to the doorkeeper, a servant girl, to get Peter in. She's the one who then confronted Peter when he was warming himself around a fire in the courtyard. You, too, were with Jesus, the Galilean. Apparently, she knew John was one of his disciples, and he had gone right into the court of the high priest. No one seemed to care about him being there. But when she saw Peter warming his hands in the courtyard... With the servants and officers, she couldn't understand why he wasn't with John and Jesus in the courtroom. So she confronted him. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples too? It probably shocked her when Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. He then went over to the gateway and she followed, along with another servant girl. Can't you hear them whispering? He said he's not, but I know he is. And the more they talked, 
the more convinced they became. Eventually they announced, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter swore he wasn't. I swear I don't know the man. And he disappeared into the crowd. Sometime later, another servant, a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off in the Garden of Gethsemane, recognized him. He came up to him and said, I know you're a Galilean. I can tell by your accent. You're a follower of Jesus, the Galilean. With that, Peter exploded. He began cursing and swearing, not only making oaths, but actually cursing, using expletives to emphasize his denial. Blankety-blank, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know the man. That moment, the cock crowed for a second time. And Jesus, who was apparently being led out of the courtroom, turned and looked right at Peter. Peter melted. He broke into tears as he remembered what Jesus had said. When Jesus had told the disciples that they would all run away and abandon him, Peter had brashly stated, they might, but I won't. I'll never run. I'll never deny you. I'll die first. To which Jesus replied, Peter, you'll deny me three times tonight before the cock crows twice. And he had been right. Peter had denied his Lord. He had been given three opportunities to speak, to witness concerning his relationship with Christ, but he had blown them all. And one denial had led to another. His first denial was pretty weak. I don't know what you're talking about. He feigned ignorance. He tried to avoid a straight answer, but it didn't work. It only made the doorkeeper push harder. So he had to actually deny that he knew Jesus. And then when an eyewitness and his own Galilean accent were working against him, he had to curse and swear to make his lie believable. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you were uncomfortable being known as a Christian? And if so, did you put on an act to downplay your faith? Did you do something that you knew would give the impression that you didn't know Christ. Peter used foul language and lied. But it didn't work because he did know him. He tried to hide his faith 
But as soon as he turned his eyes upon Jesus, he knew what he had done. And it was a time to weep. Indeed, if we'll turn our eyes upon Jesus, when facing a confrontation, we'll know when to keep silent, when to speak, and when to weep. Through his example and his guiding presence, we will know how to respond to confrontation and what to do when we blow it. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus and let's keep him there.